0: as was prayed just a few moments ago, how thankful indeed we can be for the ability that we have today to assemble like this, to appreciate God's physical handiwork round about us, the gloriousness of His creation, the beauty that testifies that He doeth all things well. In fact, in Psalm 118, verse 24, we on that occasion read, This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. In the attitude of rejoicing that we should consider quite often in our life. We come today, after having finished our series of lessons overviewing the New Testament, to a consideration of a lesson I've entitled Thankfulness for Individuals. As we move our way through the lesson and consider some of the features and aspects of it, might we begin with some introductory thoughts like this. Thankfulness is not a foreign subject at all to the Word of God. In fact, on many pages throughout the Word of God, we find exhortation to having an attitude of thankfulness, an attitude of appreciating that which others, including God, has done for us, and the willingness on our part to express our thanksgiving unto God as well as to that person. I've already made note of the fact then that the Bible frequently encourages you and me to express thanksgiving unto God. And I've listed just a very small sampling of passages that lead us toward that end. In Leviticus, in fact, in the Old Testament, we notice in the 29th verse of Leviticus 22, the very occasion when ancient Israel was commanded to offer unto God a sacrifice of thanksgiving amongst all the offerings that they were to offer such as a burnt offering, peace offering, sin offering, trespass offering, and the list continues onward. One of them included a sacrifice of thanksgiving. That's an interesting thing to note. They were thus to never forget the one who gave them the bounty of the blessings before them, and thus to express thanksgiving unto him for that. Later in the Old Testament, in First Chronicles 16, we notice there a direct commandment given to the Lord thanksgiving. Verse eight of that chapter. And is it not the case that David, the beautiful, sweet psalmist of Israel, uttered in Psalm 92 1, It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord. You and I, thankfully, in our prayers, often express to him the thanksgiving that he rightly deserves. But it might be noted that in Colossians three seventeen, as we turn to the New Testament, we also encounter this rather famous text. When in the very heart of that Colossian epistle, Paul had something to say also about thanksgiving. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And note the last part with me, giving thanks unto God and the Father by him. Perhaps we've said enough then to remind us of the importance of having an attitude of thanksgiving. But might I suggest that our issue with it perhaps has three beautiful ideas behind it. Why should you and I be so thankful? May I suggest three ideas that we shall discuss as the lesson goes onward. First, when you and I are truly mindful of what God has done for us, and that has led us to be thankful, that helps us see then that we are mindful of who's responsible for these gifts in our lives. I have not done it by myself with these hands. I have not it in my own efforts been able to make it happen. One has provided it. I have merely been a steward working on his behalf and he has bountifully given those things for me to utilize and to be a steward of. But on the second hand, is it not also true that it demands a note of humility to admit that I have not done it by myself God has been behind it, or others have been instrumental in the accomplishment of a particular action or a particular deed. And maybe in the third place, does it not demand a thoughtful observation of life? Perhaps it's easy with a hectic and frenzied life that is so possible in this day and time to move through life and never pause long enough to give an earnest and deep and thoughtful consideration to Where have these things come from? And who is ultimately responsible for them? When you and I are thankful, those three blessings will come our way. And might I suggest, as great and as wonderful as it is to provide thanksgiving appropriately to God, you might note the title of the lesson was this, Thankfulness for Individuals. You see, for the rest of the lesson today, might I direct your attention and mind to some other thoughts the Bible has about thankfulness. Not only should we be thankful to God, there are other individuals in the flesh for whom we should be thankful and we would do well to express to them that thanksgiving at least from time to time so that they know that we're aware of what they've done for us and on our behalf. A few passages that we can consider in that light. Might well begin with a foundation that could be stated as follows. Let's think for a moment about the nature of the church. While you and I are assembled like this, what a better time could there be to address the thoughts about the nature of the church than this? There is somewhat of a misconception, at least in the mind of many in our world. The church, you see, is not a structure, it's not a building, it is not a physical edifice. Our Savior purchased and established the church, but the church is a body of people. You and I are the church. It matters not if we're meeting in this building, if we're meeting outside on the yard beneath a tree. We are the church. And as such, the church is not merely a physical edifice, a building, or a method, or an occasion. The church is far grander than that. Recalling just a few of the statements in the New Testament, when Jesus in Matthew 16 first employed the word church in his preaching ministry as it's recorded for us, notice he said, "'Upon this rock I will build my church.'" What was the Lord speaking about? That was on the occasion in which questions had been asked of him and he had even asked some of the apostles, "'Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am?' When Peter had responded, it was in Jesus that uttered upon this rock. What rock? The rock of the grand confession that Peter had made, that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Upon that bedrock, fundamentally eternal truth, the Lord established his church. Upon this rock I will build my church. The word church is the word ekklesia in Greek. A rather simple word in one sense. It's comprised of two parts. E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A is the spelling, but E-K, the prefix ek in Greek, means out of. That word klesis, K-L-E-S-I-S, the principal part of that word in Greek, means called out or calling out. Putting the two together, then the church describes a body of people who've been called out of one state into another, out of one environment into another, The Lord thus fundamentally said, Upon this rock I will build my ecclesia. A group of people called out of a world of sin into a redeemed state, saved by the blood of the Savior. That's the notion, the thrust and the power behind that word. You and I thus are far more than a structure, far more than a building. We are the ecclesia of God. And as such, we can feel a great privilege of being able to be a part of that body. Many of the letters written in the New Testament thus were addressed to particular ecclesias. Notice in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul addressed the church of God in Corinth, and he called it by that name. Here, Paul wasn't referring to a building. He had in mind saints, the very word occurs in that verse, individuals who, by obedience to the gospel plan of salvation, had thus etched their name by the pen of God, if you will, in the Lamb's book of life. And as such, they were the ecclesia of God. To the Thessalonian congregation, similar wording in 1 Thessalonians 1, beginning in verse 1. There, the church happened to be in Thessalonica instead of Corinth. The idea, however, remains the same. Might we appreciate then that even today, you and I still stand four square on the blessed privilege of being part of the body of Christ. And the Pippin congregation has its role to play in the redounding of bringing glory to God. And day by day, as we engage in the works God has given us to do, we can direct that proper thanksgiving and glory to Him. The notion then of that body maybe reminds us yet again of the foundational nature of the church. It still is a fantastic thing to me to read from time to time articles that, in fact, even will assert that the church is not a significantly vital and important thing. These articles in various publications may say that Jesus is vital, but his church is not that one can ultimately be saved separate and apart from the church. My friend, don't believe that for a moment. Jesus died to build his church. He died to establishment, and there's no salvation without it. One cannot go to heaven without the church. In fact, can we not say very powerfully in Ephesians 5.23, He, namely Christ, is the Savior of the body. Who is saved? The body. That means not in the body, not saved. What is the body? All we need to do is refer to Colossians one eighteen. Speaking of Christ, He is the Savior of the body. You see, Jesus is the very Savior of the body, which is identified as the church in that very same text. The fact then of the matter is this, the church is vital. The church is absolutely essential. May we never thus think that it's optional, it's trivial, it's unimportant, it's insignificant. It demands the highest of our regard. So much so that Jesus worded it like this in Matthew six thirty three: Seek ye first the kingdom of God, which we understand the kingdom is the same as the church. Matthew 16, verses 18 and 19. No wonder, then, we have high regard for the body, the church, and appreciate, at least at proper roles and times, our positions as individual Christians in that body. It would be fair to say, then, in light of the role the church plays, to turn our attention to how does the church accomplish the works that God has given it to do. We've studied at some length on Wednesday evenings about the works of evangelism, edification, and benevolence. And now we might ask, how are those accomplished? How does the church go about doing the things that it does that will lead us full circle back to thankfulness for individuals? But for now, could we not at least appreciate this? You and I can feel such a tone of thankfulness that God has given us individual talents, individual capabilities that can be used to bring a proper glory to God, that can be used, in fact, to accomplish his work and his will. One of the things that we might have noted in the reading that Brother Adam read just a few moments ago, if you would again revisit with me Acts 28, verse 15, that text, in many ways, may seem so innocent, but here was the circumstance. And from thence, When the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Apiphorum and the three taverns, whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. On this particular journey, if you will, of Paul, he, of course, was on the way to Rome. He had appealed unto Caesar, and thus before Caesar he must stand. Prior to this, he had even suffered shipwreck in the Mediterranean Sea. It was a very harrowing experience, but by the providence and blessing of God, he and those with him on the ship had landed safely on the island of Malta. However, by the time we come to verse 15 of that chapter, they had left that island and were gaining closer and closer in the position toward Rome. As they made land in verses 12 and following, we notice that by the time of verse 15, they were now walking on that way toward Rome. And notice, he says, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us. Who came? Brethren from Rome. Rome was now well over 40 miles away. When the individuals that were members of the church in Rome heard that Paul was coming, when they first received word and news that Paul was headed their way, they sent among themselves and went and met Paul as far away as Api Forum, and even the place known as the Three Taverns. Here were these Christians, fellow brothers and sisters of Paul himself, who though they'd never seen him in the face, they heard he was coming. And they went as far away as this distant place of over 40 miles to meet him and to con- convey him safely to the imperial city. Isn't it interesting then that it says when Paul saw them, He thanked God and took courage. Here was a man that was soon to stand before the ruler of the known world. He was to stand before Caesar himself. Caesar could give any number of directives toward Paul. Caesar could have said kill him. Caesar could have said imprison him for life. Caesar could have said particularly injure him or punish him in some way. No doubt Paul had a little bit of misgiving. He knew God had told him, of course, that he would safely make it to Rome. But I wonder, did Paul have some suspicions about what state of affairs he would find in Rome? Did he wonder about the uncertainty surrounding the verdict that Caesar would give? I believe any of us would. When Paul saw these brothers and sisters in Christ who had come to meet him, he thanked God for them. He was appreciative of these brothers and sisters in Christ and the taking of their time to come to physically benefit him by encouraging him on his way toward Rome. It's thus no wonder that as the verse closes, it says, Paul took courage. He was better equipped from that time forward to live a life of faithfulness to God than maybe he had been before. He was encouraged by the edification he had received from them. I suspect that that leads us to ask, what about my life and what about yours? Oh, it may be that you and I don't stand before a Caesar and give an answer for our life. And it may be that we won't stand before some ruler with the power to take our life from us. But we do know very well that day by day, we encounter difficulties and hardships. Things come to my family and yours that lead to a virtually sleepless night from time to time. We need courage, too. We need encouragement, and where might we find such? Could we find it in a similar place to where Paul found it? May I suggest that when we meet as brothers and sisters in Christ, are we not uplifted and encouraged by the faithfulness of those who are sitting beside us on these pews? Someone who has made a decision to give his or her life in faithful obedience to the Savior and to live a life of dedication and devotion that ultimately will emanate in heaven itself. That's an encouragement. When you and I thus may feel despair and a bit of discouragement, at least in regard to spiritual matters, it might be that a kind word or a smile or a simple quoted verse from a fellow brother and sister in Christ may mean all the difference. That may be what we need to hear to get us past what lays in our way tomorrow. Satan, you see, would love to destroy that aspect of the church's work. He would love to bring to naught the encouragement that brothers and sisters in Christ receive from each other. He would like nothing better than for you and me to feel like we must go it alone. For he knows there's strength in number. May we never forget that point. There is strength in number, and Jesus died to establish a body. Not individuals, but a body. And in that body, we have a mutual and collective strength from our fellow association with the nature of God himself, with his son, Christ Jesus. Those issues must not be forgotten. In fact, we must encourage them in our mind to appreciate our brothers and sisters and to take courage on our Christian walk from them. In that light, as we revisit then the work of the Pippin congregation... What are some things that might fairly be said? Any church, if it is to be what God would have it to be, must be an active church. For Christ purchased us to be busy in good works. In Titus 2, verse 14, in fact, we find on that occasion that, speaking of Christ, He hath purchased us a people of His own possession, zealous of good works. Zealous? That word means enthusiastic about, energetic for, excited to accomplish. As you and I are thus excited and zealous to accomplish good works, it goes without saying that a church, if it's going to accomplish what it should, must have the combined work of many people. One person can't do it all. Even a very small number can't do all that the work of the church should lead it to do. Thus, as we think about giving thankfulness to individuals, I have chosen to list some various works of the Pippin congregation. As we think about these works today, some questions that we might well ask would be this. Who is accomplishing these works? In this congregation, what are the names of the people who are doing these things? And the secondary question would be, have I expressed my personal appreciation to that person for what he or she has done and is doing to bring about the work of God in this community. Might I suggest then that if the time comes that I don't know the name of the person that's doing something, it's time for me to find out, and it's time for me to express to that person some thanksgiving. It certainly is not my intent at all to overlook any work. And if I have done that, I want to begin with an apology. But I have, at least in a a broad kind of way, listed the major works that I could think of. I'd like you to notice them with me. And again, ask yourself, who is involved in these works? First of all, our eldership. As you consider with me the nature of the eldership itself, an elder is an individual that must invest a significant amount of time. There are many things that must be questioned, things that must be checked upon analyses that must be made. An elder is given express charge to, in fact, watch over the souls of the flock. With individuals like the elders that are are given that task, many a moment must be spent studying and analyzing, questioning, and considering the decisions that they make are those that sometimes come to be of a public variety in that announcements to the congregation are made. But how many hours were spent in private consultation, in private study with regard to a certain activity? May we be thankful for those men who have done those things. And is it not still true that in 1 Timothy 3 verse 1, the man that would desire the office of a bishop desireth a good work? It is a good work. May we be thankful for those not only willing to do that, but to accept the responsibility that goes with it. But not only that, deacons, we also are blessed with deacons. They too have a particular work set aside for them in the, in, the, in the very book of God. As we study it, it is called also a good work, a good degree, if you will, in First Timothy 3. That good degree is spoken of expressly in the physical ways that a deacon can go about in a separate way from an elder Accomplishing the physical labors that a congregation must must support. Perhaps again we can note, with regard to an individual that's a deacon, have we expressed in a personal way our appreciation to those that occupy that office? Maybe in a third place, Bible class teachers. I realize that we often emphasize the importance of correct Bible instruction The world is fraught with false teaching. We understand that. How thankful we should be for an individual who will invest the necessary time of study and preparation, and not only to make that investment, but at the proper time of assembly, will conduct a class in a decent and orderly way, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, in such a way the students learn the truth of eternity as presented in the Word of God. That's no light task. In addition to holding down the other duties and responsibilities of life, these will take the time to teach our children or to teach an adult class. And they do so because of their love for the Word and their desire to instill in the the minds of those plastic youths the thoughts that they should remember for all eternity. Do we know the names of the people doing this? Have we expressed to them the appreciation of our heart for the fact that they've done this? Maybe you've been encouraged yourself in your own thinking that you'd like to teach a class. May you realize the importance of it, but you know you have a congregation behind you in support that you will do that work, for it's such a vital thing. In fact, might we also consider yet again, as you and I meet in a public way for worship, there are men who lead in the services. We should be appreciative that there are those willing to do that. There are certain activities of the worship that, of course, demand a more public role of speaking. Some feel more comfortable at that than others. Do we let those know who are willing to try that we do appreciate that? And that we're there to encourage them just like Paul received encouragement from his Roman brothers and sisters in Christ? As we read in Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 11 teachers and others that occupy public roles are those mentioned in the scriptures and for them we certainly should have a degree of appreciation and to let them know that we're proud of what they've attempted to do and to edify them to continue and to improve even further in the activities that sit before them the church's treasury is an important matter we've seen that in our wednesday evening studies as well Just as you and I know, our family, personal matters at home, there's always bills to be paid. There's always work to be done in regard to comparing bank accounts and making certain that things are in order. The church also has a treasurer. That individual is a person who watches over that and pays those bills and takes care of the financial matters as the elders give direction. Do we know who that man is? Let us consider the work then that he does and to express to him a degree of consideration for his efforts toward that end. We can continue on this list further. From time to time, the elders, in their desire to know something about a particular work and whether or not it should be supported, will invite someone to investigate and to report back to them so that they can make a fuller and completer decision about that. Are we appreciative for the work that that person does in investigation? In 1 Timothy 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 21, we are told to prove all things and to hold to that which is good. That's a very significant text, to prove all things. We aren't to take it upon someone else's word necessarily. We aren't simply to take it upon what we think or wish it might be. The facts of the case will speak for themselves. Prove all things. Our elders take that charge seriously. You and I, as desirous individuals in the Lord's body, must, of course, do the same. Not only that, those who prepare our bulletin that we enjoy each Sunday, a bulletin that, of course, has as one of its objectives and missions to encourage the family character of our body, sharing news about the sick or other congregational announcements, it does take time to compile that information and to typeset it and to make sure it gets to the printer and then to distribute it appropriately. Do we know who does all of that? Have we expressed to them the fact we appreciate it and have we lent them a helping hand when maybe they've needed it in regard to bringing that to pass? Yet in another way, those that prepare the Lord's Supper that you and I enjoy in in communion each Lord's Day, there are those who make certain and in, in endeavor to make sure that that's prepared. Are we a part of that work? Do we encourage those who are? Are we aware of those whose names are or those that have volunteered for it? It is an amazing thing to note someone does it. It doesn't just miraculously appear of its own. As we're mindful of these things, there are many things that may, in fact, be done almost behind our notice because we aren't as always cognizant as we might be. Maybe in another way, the bulletin boards that occupy our building, both foyer and in the back, are we aware of who takes the time to prepare them to express a note of happiness as we enter the building and how it allows us to feel better about God's creation and the things that he has made? As someone prepares them, do we know who that is? Have we ever told them how much we appreciate it? These things perhaps ask good questions, don't they? Paul thanked God for those whom he knew from Rome, perhaps some others that we could also list. We are blessed to have a marquee that sits out beside the roadway. Somebody puts the messages on that marquee. Someone changes them from time to time. Do you know who that is? Have you thanked them or helped them in the way to make sure that they can put messages up? It is a good question for us to consider, isn't it? That marquee is a wonderful advertisement for our congregation. May we be thankful for those who, like that, have worked in ways much like it. From time to time, our congregation provides food or other things for those that are sick or for those that are downcast or for those that are afflicted. Maybe we could ask the question, who does that? Who oversees that? Have I contributed my part to that work? Maybe we can announce in a more complete way the things of who is involved in these things at other times. And if you'd like to be a part of any of them, please see one of the elders. They can put you in direction of the person who could help you be a part of these things. It is an interesting thing to consider, isn't it, some of the works that the church in fact does. In regard to gatherings, not unlike the one next this coming Saturday, someone organizes all of that. Some group of people make certain that things are ready, the building's prepared, the food is organized. Who does all of that? May we be thankful for those who do and let them know that we appreciate the work that they've done. One could mention the baptistry behind me. Someone takes care of it, making certain the water is heated, making certain that the garments are washed and prepared when there's a baptism. Who does that? Let us express to those individuals that we appreciate it. Again, might we notice, I haven't included the specific names of the peoples, and I've done that purposefully. If you don't know who does these things, ask somebody. Ask one of the elders. Find out and then express your feelings to those who have done these things. We could list many more. What about the Bible ball? What about the individuals that clean the inside and the outside of the building? Someone does that. Do we know who it is? Are we aware and thankful for those who invest their efforts and time to bring about that which is of benefit to you and me as members of the body of Christ? Thankfulness for individuals. A church should be a joyous family, united by the blood of Jesus Christ. And as each one contributes what he or she is able to contribute, that makes a fully functioning whole. Are you and I doing then all that we can do and should do in our effort to serve the Lord? And have we expressed to others our appreciation for what they do? It may be that as we draw the lesson to its conclusion this Sunday morning, one final concluding thought may well be this one. We have discussed today the attitude of thankfulness, first to God for all that He has done for us, but also with a note of thankfulness also to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We certainly should be thankful for them, for their desire to be a Christian, for their loving attitude to want to go to heaven, and for their usage of their talents and the accomplishment of the Lord's work in and, and the Pippi congregation here in Putnam County, Tennessee. In our study of these matters today, it might well be noted that if you're not a Christian, you need to be one at once. You need to become a member of this body so that you too can invest your efforts in the work that will have eternal rewards. Work here on earth, you see, has at best a temporary reward. But work that's done in the cause of the Savior, work that's done in the interest of eternity will be that which will wait for us at that golden gate in glory. And God will bless us forevermore for having invested our time wisely and for having served Him faithfully. Today, if you're not a member of the body, Jesus stated the entrance procedure to be this. Hear the Word of the Lord. Romans 10, verses 13 to 15. Believe Jesus to be the Son of God, John 8, verse 24. Repent of the sins in your life, Acts 2, verse 38. Confess Jesus as the Son of God, Romans 10, verse 10. And be baptized for the remission of sin, Mark sixteen sixteen, Acts two thirty eight. If we could assist you in accomplishing that today, what an honor and what a grand day for you it would be. If you have become a Christian, though, but... You have not invested your efforts and time in service of the Master. Maybe not a single thing on that list could be said to be attached to you. If that's true, are you really doing what you need to be doing as a Christian? Are you investing your efforts in pursuit of the Lord or in pursuit of someone else? Maybe you need to come in an humble way before God and make confession you have not done what you know you should have done. And it's still true that to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin, James 4.17. Today, if we could then pray on your behalf for your rededication and for your forgiveness, what a wonderful and joyous day for you it would be. If we could help you in any of these ways today, would you not let it be known publicly while together we stand and while we sing?